Can we hear it in Czech? Proletáři všech zemí, vylište si p***děl! Dávám bolševíkům jeden rok, maximálně dva roky. Did I get it right? Oh yeah, you did. <laughs> awesome. Ahoj, dear listeners. Welcome to the podcast once again. My name is Curry. I studied a little bit of media. We are two film aficionados. Tonight actually three, because we have a guest from the Czech Republic. So, welcome Ondra. Hello. And of course we have my co-host Henrik here somewhere. Hello, Henrik. Hello, hello. A little bit about our guest. Could you tell us a little bit about your background, if you're willing? How did you end up in this podcast? What do you do? Well, I just stumbled upon your request for a guest on on Reddit. I thought it was interesting, so I just, yeah, if you need someone, yeah, I'm here. Judging by your usernames, you are an engineer? Uh, that nickname actually comes from my, my the time when I used to study civil engineering, which I didn't finish. What kind of work do you do at the moment? I am a CNC operator at the moment. Oh, wow. All right, so tonight's objective is to analyze something quite culturally attached, uh, hopefully pronouncing it somewhere around there, Pelishki. Exactly. More right. or less. Our first film from Czech Republic. We are closing in on the 100th episode at some point, so we're starting to get a little bit of amnesia what we have done here. Henrik, was this your first time watching this film? It was, and altogether it's one of the few Czech films that I now have seen. Czech Republic being a country of which films I'm somewhat still unfamiliar with. Ondra, I believe you have seen this a couple of times. Couple would be an understatement, yes. <laughs> so, would you say that uh, this uh, opportunity to join us in- interested you because you are quite familiar with the film and like the film, I would say? Not necessarily f- a lot familiar with it, but I ac- I like it a lot. Especially because since, yeah, it's a topic that I like, it's history, that's important. All right, so, as our listeners might already know, this is the kind of podcast where We try to seriously investigate films, try to investigate with our sophisticated laboratory equipment if feces would could actually catch fire, as suggested by the film. <laughs> That's the level of detail we go here. Why are we watching this film now? I think Henrik is the best person to answer this question. Uh, I actually have don't have a fenced idea why we are watching this film now. Oh, that's weird, because I chose this film. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, na- naturally, I- I'm the one who most qualified to actually explain to the audiences what goes through your thick skull when you pick these films. Yeah, yeah, yeah. well, Henrik is our tossing back. I just toss questions at his direction. No, just kidding. But uh, I just bought this completely randomly from Amazon. Well, actually, it was uh, via checkmovie.com, which was offering its products on Amazon. Big thanks for checkmovie.com, actually, I've been... Uh, 
kind of a frequent customer now, it seems. And they have a lot of interesting offerings. Our criteria, how we pick these films, certainly has taken a step or, or, or two backwards. No, 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 no. This well, is like very this, tough. This, 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 used to be, this used to be a carefully thought out process where we discuss carefully what films we are going to go through and and have motives for the films we choose. And and today it's just, I happen to buy this one film from e-store. E Henrik, I was about to get to this. So we're going through the times of the coronavirus and looking how much fun the characters are having on the film. I thought that, you know, since they are in this isolated in this Soviet imposed poverty, let's say, I thought it would be very topical, you know, in a in a way, in a different way, but still this this podcast is, you know, interesting sometimes, but I I'm trying to make some kind of a bridge here. Are, are, are you are you trying to tie <laughs> the Soviet Union with coronavirus? <laughs> well, I am are, are you trying to throw some metaphors here? Oh, I'm so going to get crucified now for this. No, my my point was that at the end of the film, the last shot is when the birds are in the cage. And in a way, we are also in the cage. But oh, okay, this metaphor sucks really hard. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so sorry. Oh my God. Are you trying to say that communism is, is a plague? <laughs> oh, <laughs> No, no, of course not. And of course, all, uh, uh, this podcast is also not here to imply in any way that Poland, the country that I live in, dear listeners, that it would in any way start to resemble a Soviet Russian suppressive communist oligarchy. No, no, no. Of course no, not. No, of course not. If, if something, I would actually make the statement that that, that there is an accusation that you are throwing against Czech Republic. Like living in Czech is like living in a cage. <laughs> certainly resembled one at the time yeah oh yeah by the way if i can ask so how old are you i am 22 okay you probably have some stories to tell maybe from your parents or some friends about the prague spring or the break of the uh kind of a iron the fist. iron curtain yeah yeah Oh, oh yeah, my mother actually was a part of the protesting group in one of the big cities that we have here in 1989. Okay. For example, me, I, I saw it, this film for the first time two weeks ago and I indeed found it randomly. I actually can't even anymore remember how I found it. I was browsing for some films for the podcast, I remember that much, but how it was this film, no idea. Periski. How to translate this? Literally, would it be lairs or nests or something like this? Well, as far as I know, they usually translate it into English as cozy dens. It's it's referring to a to a place where you feel uh, where you feel comfortable, basically, uh, like like your own bed or some something like that. Uh, it can refer to such things in Czech, at least. Maybe the Polish translation is not quite exactly the same meaning, but I kind of like this, how it was in Polish. Potjetnym dachem, under the same roof. Ah. This was shown in Vancouver Film Festival, where it was near the top in popular votes. But to my knowledge, this film never got a wide international release. So it was mostly shown in film festivals. And of course, in its home country. If IMDb is to be trusted in any way, then this film 
it got a worldwide gross somewhere around 2.5 million. Oh, that's nice. And Beliski, it's uh, loosely based on this book called Hovno Hoji, I believe. Hoji. It loosely translates to something like shit is on fire, flaming feces, or shit burns, yes. or something like this. I, I think the official version is shit burns. Although I wasn't able to find any English copy to read. I don't think it ever was translated, honestly. Yeah, I only found the Polish copy, but my Polish is nowhere near that good. Uh, it was called Gówno Pali, and it's written by Petr Szabach. Yes. This book consists of various unconnected stories. Most of the jokes used in the movie are based on this Czech writer's book that we mentioned. Then we have the director, Jan Zjebejk. Zjebejk, yes. Henrik, our director expert. Do you have anything on him? The director made made a film that Curry found by an accident when he was browsing e-stores. <laughs> Famous for that one. Okay, that's kind of an understatement for this director. But he majored in uh, screenplay and dramaturgy. Uh, aside from Pelishki, he's also known for Big Beat from 1993, Shakali Leta, yes. uh, rock and roll musical comedy. His first major box office mega smash hit and... It's the Big Beat theme that reunited later to do Peliski. And both Big Beat and Peliski are based on books of Peter Shabach. And in fact, this director Jan Zebeik has made several film adaptations of his books. Also Pupendo from 2003 and Umie Dobre, Good For Me from 2008. And the writer died in 2017. Uh, this director, he's also inspired by films like Amarcord by Federico Fellini. He's also been inspired by the Czech film Obecna Skola, Elementary School. Obecna Skola, yes. Ah, uh, Skola. In 1991, and Milos Forman's films from the 60s. Forman, of course, directed One Flew Over Cuckoo's Nest. He said that he thinks he's not copying any of these directors or works, but he thinks the framework in Peliski, or possibly also his other films, is similar to them all right i believe we can little by little move on to the actual scene by scene analysis what do you think henrik by all means let's start that one okay or i could just as well take the film's blu-ray casing and wrap it around my throat and hang myself <laughs> well you can still give us short synopsis on the main cast and crew or we do it during the scene by scene. Oh, we do it by scene by scene. <laughs> we got some listener feedback that, oh my god, this beginning is dragging on forever before we get to the actual film. So We start with some fake snow of Christmas 1967. They apparently didn't have snow, so they created some for the film set. Starting with the quote, I was about to turn 16, was hopelessly in love, and wanted to die. How sweet. This already starts with uh, pretty murky <laughs> waters, but... Uh, the film strikes kind of an interesting balance here, because on the other hand, it's dealing with quite serious history, like the Prague Spring, but then it's kind of making fun of all the hardships that the people endured during the communist times. Some people have said that it quite doesn't work for them, and some people have no problem at all. What do you think is going on here? Because this film has a repeating theme of not really caring about suicide, like Yendriska doesn't really seem 
surprised, shocked, saddened, anything about the fact that poor old Mihal just tried to kill himself. Your thoughts? Mihal is so bad at killing himself that I too wouldn't be too worried. <laughs> Do you think this was the kind of a status quo <laughs> during those times that it was becoming so commonplace to try to kill yourselves that nobody was anymore impressed about it? Or they were kind of expecting it, overplaying this? No, I I do not think so. And yeah. The th- the thing is that Czech comedies don't really care about anything and everything goes in case <laughs> of humor. So yeah. There's, there's just no line that cannot be crossed in Czech humor. Some American had been writing uh, like their own user review on Peliski on letterboxd.com. He had a really hard time understanding some of the humor of the film. Maybe he thought it was too dark because he could see the parents and the children arguing at many parts of the film. And he would think that this is kind of getting serious and, and he couldn't always find the humor in that. So I thought it was interesting. Maybe it's not always there, though. Mm, not always. The film tries to be serious as well in times. And in my opinion, succeeds in some cases, but not always. So we're introduced to the father of Mihal, who is greeting some of his comrades. There's like a what seems to be a couple who is uh, going to go for a Christmas break somewhere. Well, they're returning home back to Russia, yes. It looks kind of in this shot when they car comes into the forefront it looks like if the camera would be kind of off balance but it's kind of a hilly tarmac road and i believe it just gives a kind of a weird contrast to things and there is this repeating line from the film i give the bolsheviks one year two at the most can we get the authentic pronunciation for this line if you could <laughs> davam bolshevikovi rok maximalnie dva <laughs> awesome <laughs> uh, yeah, people still had hope at that time Yeah, turned out to be a little more than two years. Yeah. While we transition to kind of the credits sequence, there is this song by Václav Netskar. Netskar, yes. Tukytarohisem kupil kvulitope, something like this. Yes. Uh, is there any special significance of this song? Why is it here? Can you well, see anything? Well, the song was was written during the period when uh, everything was liberalizing, during the run up to the Prague Spring basically so that's that's why it's there because at the time you could sing about most of the stuff and the party wouldn't really care about it the translation would be I bought the guitar because of you that's the direct yeah. direct translation okay. to English like you pointed out Henrik there's a funny theme regarding mom and being sorry towards mom in some way throughout this film because there, there's Two songs that make this kind of a reference, but we can check it out pretty soon. Yeah, this um, music by the Václav Netskar, this is kind of a rocky music, right? I'm not sure how allowed this was during its time when it was released. Was it kind of an underground, hidden... No, absolutely not. Václav Netskar was a mainstream musician at the time. Okay, so, so we get to Mihal's room. And now there's an Indonesian song by Ayomama called Lagu, or... I believe it's pronounced Latsudarah or something like this. And in the song, this person is singing about more or less, quote, come on, mom, do not be mad at me. So this is the first mom reference. First of all, pretty weird that it's a Indonesian song. Well, they were working or- with what they had at the time. There probably wasn't a huge distribution of um, US and UK songs, so they worked with what they had. 
Now that dad is talking about something about printing today's menu, I kind of missed the point here. We know that he's kind of a militia officer of some sorts. He's an army major. Okay, so he's deciding like the menu for, for the army. No, the point is that uh, he's being uh, hypocritical about what he said, because he first says that uh, he needs the menu, then he basically goes on, I didn't say that I need the menu, and so on and so on, and at the end that he needs a different kind of document, and just hangs up. Okay, because I took it the way that he's actually making that menu to his own household like what yes he is he is and that's yeah. that's why he gets confused and instead of getting the document he wants says a menu and somebody is writing down that menu i'm not sure where that is happening no that's that's him doing that i believe yeah he's he's okay. writing down the menu at his home for his own household much the same way like he uses the typewriter at the end of the film to type down the shopping list, what they need from the store. Oh, uh-huh, okay. And is it Yenriska who makes the po- uh, question that are we having tomato sauce again? No, that's Uzinka, uh, the younger girl, the daughter of Shebek in the movie that is. The character is Mr. Shebek. Yeah, uh, Mikhail Beran, who plays Michal, and born in 1980... He was born in Brno, father was a guitarist, and basically the whole family is musically talented. He went as a child to a drama group, then first appeared in front of a camera as an extra in... Chetnitska Umarski, yes. Thanks. And he got into filming through performing in the municipal theater in Brno. First feature film was Peliski, indeed. As far as I know, he is still acting, and we have already come across... In Riska, played by Kristina uh, Novakova. She does seem to have a few movies before Pelishki in uh, yeah. Bringing Up Girls in Bohemia and uh, Kinetická Encyklopedia Všehomíra, which is not translated into English even. So. And we are introduced to the angry father of the neighbor family. The name of the character is Mr. Kraus, and the name of the uh, the actor is Jerzy Kodet. So I understand that he is some kind of a legendary actor in Czech Republic, or was? He, he was, yes. He was well known, if nothing else. And the idea that I got is that he is not very much known for anything in particular, at least not before Pelishki, and I think this is his most known film. Absolutely agree. And he does look a lot like the famous Polish actor called Jan Englert. I don't know if you know this guy. He has been in the TV series Just Honoru, for example. Oh yeah, they do, do kind of look alike, even though Englert looks a bit more like uh, the British actor that plays Jim, James Bond these days. Daniel Craig. Yeah. Quote, his family destroys an architectural work and replaces it with a tank. So they have put in the camouflage on top of that hut outside after it got a little bit of an accident. Uh, the girl shown to oppose his father during the stomach muscle training. So we're establishing all these character traits immediately for everybody. Then there is this hiccup at the school. It starts with this uh, little kid, Petya. And we establish that the aunt Eva is indeed the aunt for this uh, girl, Uslinka. Yes. Here's probably shown kind of the difference between two worlds. Aunt Eva asks for her to call her a teacher in the school time. And then this uh, biology teacher 
comes and corrects her and says that you should say comrade teacher, which I don't think Eva really cares for. Yeah, that the some people some teachers apparently wanted it a lot, and some teachers just just didn't care about it at all. It's what I got from my parents and grandparents. Then from the stairs we have this uh, sharing of gazes. There is the Yindriska uh, looking down on these two boys, Mihal and Elian. I think it's pretty clear from these camera angles that uh, or Yindriska is interested in Elian more than he she is in any way interested in Mihal. And after all, they are cousins, so... Well, we'll be at the end of the movie. All right. And we're outside of the youth home. This uh, I was wondering why there is some kind of a place to receive mail next to this uh, youth home. Youth home of May 1st, or whatever it says in the gate. Uh, but The problem is that there used to be... Uh, this is usually a college for students or some some such. And they usually have this person that just controls the children so that they don't do, I don't know, alcohol and such. It depends on the person, obviously, if they do their job or not. But Okay. Yeah, so it's the same school that they are in. Yeah. Basically, yes. And Elian gets some nice shoes from America, from his parents. And this competition between the boys is established. Mihal says that this would look great on my mom. We show we are getting a little bit of glimpse on Elian's home. We get a lot of quick glimpses at Elian's home when he's doing something quite random, like playing some kind of Christmassy music for 20 seconds and then it cuts into some other scene. And basically, Elian is this kind of a rebelish type of a hippie character who is uh, the one maybe most consuming the Western culture, so to speak, and is basically the only character in the story who somehow gets a happy ending in a way. Well, he leaves the girlfriend in into Czechoslovakia and never comes back, according to the story. That's but, somewhat but... wrong, since uh, both Eva, Mr. Kraus, and Indriška leave to Britain and don't come back until 1989, according to the story. Oh, okay, yeah. Yeah, there's the final postcard that the family receives. Which kind of is used to establish the fact that they leave for for England. And we also saw, show some other students. Like kind of interestingly, we have kind of black and what looks like to be an Asian guy there joining this movie watching experience with Alien. Well, that isn't anything uncommon here, really, because we used to receive people from all all around the world since we've got one of the most famous, well, oldest uh, universities in Prague, in Central Europe, so. Okay, so you think think also during the 60s it was this kind of an open... Yeah, that, yes, that continued all the way throughout the, uh, uh, since World War II, all the way, all the way to today, basically. There's people from India study, studying in Prague, I don't know, America as well. And this is kind of the, the way for many of the, the you know, kids and kind of adults alike to see, get a glimpse of the American culture here, or actually also some French films are shown without subtitles. So I guess we're to assume that they perfectly understand it, or it's just something that they want to consume regardless, even if they understand what is being said here. Well, I guess they'd rather consume a story without understanding what the characters are, are saying rather than seeing the same movie repeated. <laughs> More of this conflict when Mihal says that Elian looks like a 
Jean Marais, this uh, French actor. And then the competition heightens, and in the next scene, it immediately backfires when you know, Michal gets pushed against the wall with the bike. But, of course, later he apologizes for this one. And at home, it's back to lies, told you not to bike on ice. We get to know that Aunt Eva is not yet coming because uh, of this comrade teacher, biology teacher. But now it's time for some occupied toilets because comrade comes to visit the aunt and needs to use the toilets, but it's obsazeno, occupied. So he pees into the sink and heating himself up for nice little hairdo. Yeah, they apparently had to uh, shoot this specific scene about five times from what I've read. (laughs) It looks like it's uh, definitely his own hair that is actually on fire there. It absolutely does, yes. The things you do for filmmaking. All right, then there is this uh, Christmas song and Indra gets to hear about her playing because she stops playing and just smiles. And Father Mr. Kraus then singing beautifully. Neighbors hear all of this downstairs. And now the extended family pops up into the Mihal household. Mihal seems to be so excited. <laughs> and then tries to sing this carol that was just being played upstairs. Feels obligated, father says just to shut up. Once again, this director seems to have something against hair. There's this, uh, there's this uh, sparkler, sparkling this uh, woman's hair. And somehow the conversation leads to Kodiak Bear. And, oh, yes, because they apparently actually uh, had a conflict uh, about how big the bear is in the past. And now they're returning to it because they got reminded. <laughs> 3.7 meters is supposed to be the height of this bear. Just everybody's making fun of this situation. Growl that, the magic word. Yes. This is the moment also where <laughs> we, we hear the background noise when Indra is at the door and gives Mihal this kind of like a gift from Alien uh, as, a, as a kind of saying sorry, which I believe is a Mick Jagger poster. At least Mr. Krause is uh, using uh, these protective glasses. I've never worn any protective glasses when we have had kind of pouring the lead Oh, you do that too? No. It uh, seems that you are kind of a, being a step ahead in the protection. Oh, yeah. Well, some people don't do that. Some people do. That's up to every household. Every ho- household has a bit of a different tradition when it comes to Christ. At least here, that that's the case. Yeah, I don't think people anymore really play with the lead. Maybe they have to figure that it's kind of poisonous, so maybe better not to. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Some households still do do that. Since it's a tradition that they've been doing since their childhood, and they they like to remind themselves of uh, that they have been young once. Absolutely, Mister Krause is shouting to the hallway that we haven't poured the lead yet. And Indriska, who is downstairs at the door with Mihal, responds something like "Olova volovo," and it was translated in the subtitles as "Lead's dead." Do Do you have any comment? What was the original meaning uh... of this "Olova volovo"? Olovo, olovo, it's a wordplay. Bull is something. It's a light uh, light insult in Czech. Okay. Calling someone vool, it's a light insult. And she, of course, doesn't say it out loud enough so that her father would hear that. But it seems that uh, she's gathering more and more courage to be even more insultive. Or what he perceives as insults towards Mr. Krause. Yes. Then there is uh, the date of the teacher, the aunt, gets a gift from this biology teacher, 
and says that I love glass. I always wanted a paperweight. That kind of struck me as odd. But maybe it's because, you know, those were the times you were kind of happy to get anything or yes, that's how I read it. Yeah. Yes. Then we get to underwater battles, fighting about who can stay underwater the longest. And before that, all, almost this uh, father of Michal almost blows up his vein. And they move into the bathroom. So uh, these seem to be some kind of times when you apparently kept live carbs in your bath. So you tried to kind of preserve your food. I believe I read something about this a long time ago. Yes, but, it's it's basically a t- tradition to make uh, fried carb with a potato salad on, on the Christmas Eve to eat that with your family. And for the carb to be as fresh as it could be, you used to keep them in the bath. The, kill them on the day of Christmas, the day before the Christmas Eve, then you just fry them at, uh, in the evening, eat them, take your presents and go to sleep. That's basically what you usually do here. Yeah, this was one point that the American commentator said that he, he didn't understand this and he needed to do a lot of research before kind of getting the film, but ultimately yeah, decided that it was very much worth it and found the movie really well made. Henrik, any experience with carbs? No, I try to ab- uh, avoid animal abuse the best I can. But <laughs> I, I am quite familiar, or I, I, I do know of this tradition. We carry on to the this tradition moments once again. A prayer for those who are not here anymore in the Yendra household. Everything's so calculated and kind of reminds me of my own grandparents, or specifically my grandfather who. Kind of had this the same thing going on. Well, he was a kid during the Second World War and was quite involved in many things army. There's an interesting moment where we notice that it looks like it's the, that the woman needs to sit down first. So they kind of redo the whole sitting <laughs> before they finally settle around the table. Back to Mihal's flat. There's this uh, Stolichnaya vodka. Uh, at least currently it's produced in Riga, Latvia, if I'm not mistaken. I believe so, but it used to be the uh, a part of the Soviet Union. Yep, uh, there is talk about this Uncle Boris. Uh, uh, I think it's the father who says that this Uncle Boris will be coming back during summer. It seems that Mihal totally doesn't buy it. Uh, it's the same person that we've seen uh, at the start of the movie uh, when the pa- uh, uh, of the the female and the the uh, Russian army officer was leaving in their Lada. And one of these kind of a dreaming sequences, Mihal gets amazing shoes, the same shoes as as the alien got before. But then it's revealed <laughs> after father is kind of beginning to sing Elvis that actually it's not those fancy shoes after all. And there's a fascination in this film through and throughout about plastic, the mysterious plastic material. But only Mihal is finding the situation amused. Although it seems that Mihal also is not very familiar with plastic. It was a new thing for us at the time, well, for a normal household at least. And praising the the smart engineers who made these. In Poland, yes. Smart engineer from uh, socialist Poland. And then some kind of a wordplay about Madame Curie Sklodowska. Yes. And with glass, because Sklo and Sklodowska. Yeah, Sklo means glass in Czech. Exactly. A mother of Michal seems to be completely confused what just he was saying there. Also, this uh, actor who plays the grandmother, some kind of a legendary actor in Czech Republic. 
Stella Zadvorková, yes. Yeah, because we shoot a lot of fairy tales for children, and she she usually plays like uh, plays this this type of magic grandmother type, yeah, such things. Always the the good ones, still, almost of the time, anyway. Yeah, I, I watched the documentary of the film from Blu-ray, and uh, there was one moment where when they were not shooting a scene, she was just watching some scene and commenting that, "Yep, that's." Pretty much how it was back in the day. Pretty accurate <laughs> depiction. And she was laughing so much at the set, like all the time, according to the clips that I saw. And Michal <laughs> breaks the plastic mug and gets shouted at, of course. Christmas at Ants continues as we see Sasha and Ant. And there's this electric toy. I thought it, this, this was kind of a weird scene. Like I couldn't find any special significance to it. Except the fact that it's kind of showing how goofy guy this this uh, biology teacher can be, and maybe not the best guy to be kind of a father figure for the kid. Well, he's trying to promote uh, the Soviet idea of uh, self strengthening and such, which yeah, of course, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean, if you wanna look for the more critical messages of the film, I would say this is one of the scenes where where the movie is kind of a less just a funny ha-ha-ha comedy and more more an actually critical take on the Soviet times. Because if you actually really think it through, the the whole electric shock thingy here, it's it essentially it is a children's toy that's sold to to kids as as a toy. And all, all that the toy does is is give small electric current and run it through your body, giving you constant electric shock, which when you really think about it, it, it is actually somewhat sick yeah. and e- even perverse, like selling the, something like that as a toy. Well, as he says, he brought it from Kiev, so I don't know. <laughs> yeah, that's true. <laughs> and that there is kind of a highlighted lack of, common knowledge or what we see as common knowledge nowadays anyway like at Indris cosplay Sindra asks whether this thing here is supposed to be a dog no the father says it's a camel then some kind of a little insult towards the, the father regarding bread or maybe also it was related to the the lack of understanding of her father has gone through or how the bread was made or Yes, because he had apparently gone through a uh, concentration camp during uh, yeah. uh, the period of Nazi occupation around here. So that's why. Uh, then she mocks him that uh, he basically says that they made chess out of bread in the concentration camp. And she mocks him. She says, uh, you made white chess from uh, white bread and uh, black from black. And he basically flails into a rage and starts on a rant about how they only had this one type of ugly, tasteless bread and such. And there's a jump into, back into Anne's place. Once again, here we have the microscope gift, followed by this very, very silly dance for this... Czech artist. This one is Karel Gott. And the kid is smiling and completely confused about this this dance. And we can see, at least in a couple of occasions, that basically this little kid Petya is here to see what silly things the adults are doing. And then later he is copying that, like dancing like they did. 
or giving electric shocks to Mihal's father, things like that. Yeah. That's kind of his character traits. In the next one, it's the first mention of this uh, frankincense. Grandmother or somebody around the table asks uh, what is smelling here, and it's uh, frankincense. Frankincense, it's uh, aromatic resin used in incense and perfumes, and it's gotten from the trees of Genus Boswellia, in the family of whatever. Getting out of my field. Quote, screwing is for kids. Men will drink. Henrik, would you agree? Well, of course, absolutely. <laughs> and uh, Marshal Malinovsky. Ah, yes, the famous scene. <laughs> yes, I quite like this uh, shot with this kind of a yellowish tinted lighting and they're all together around the table having the drinks. The father is completely drunk. <laughs> the funny thing is you can actually see the hairspray behind Mr. Donutil's head when he they, they, they're shooting this scene. <laughs> You can yeah, see yeah. the lighter, you can see the candle, but you can see the lighter, uh, The whoever was doing that. Yeah, I think I see the hand, which is <laughs> yes, the lighter. Yes, yeah. there's a hand, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And this reference to Marshal Malinovsky, I was kind of thinking that this is kind of a sarcastic reference, I suppose, because in a way this was a Soviet military commander during World War II who was important uh, contributor to the big defeat of Nazi Germany at the Battle of Stalingrad and at the Battle of Budapest. But the thing is that the father served uh, on the Eastern Front of, of World War II, so probably joined with the uh, Czechoslovak Armored Brigade that uh, was formed in, Red, in the Red Army and was, uh, and was probably actually serious about praising this marshal. He's basically this this character that's supposed to show how they're celebrating everything, how great the great the, the socialism is and everything. Yeah, probably. I, I, yeah, of course. I just feel that maybe the rest of the people around the table are not necessarily that, let's say, fanatic, not that you know, emotionally engaged towards the single party. Absolutely not. Michal then promotes... Uzlinka. Yeah, that one, to put some posters up on the bulletin board, as she does, while being pointed with a crossbow. That's the one she got for Christmas. <laughs> yeah. So once again, one of these rebellious acts. The, there is a lot of rebellion from all of the kids, but most definitely there is this Mihal and Yindra who are opposing the, their parents. But then it's now sexy time at Ants. There is more of this, more, more of this frankincense, which seems to be kind of a hot thing during 68 in... Czechoslovakia and biology teacher and the ant, they look so uncomfortable during everything, really. Biology teacher asks, isn't this exciting? And she responds, I don't know, I feel sick. <laughs> and the kid comes into the room to ask, does shit burn? Which is a reference to the book that we were discussing. Kind of this biology teacher then lays all the cards on the table. I came with the offer of quality sex. And he's talking about all these romantic things like Milk and water position. Henrik, what is a milk and water position? Oh, I actually have no idea what that is. Um, <laughs> there is a strong possibility that it is something that really didn't translate that well into the English subtitles. Yondra, any comments? Don't ask me about that. I have no idea. That's a completely different generation. <laughs> it, 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 it does look terribly a lot like your typical missionary position. 
and nothing else. Which is interrupted by the music and while well, it looks like this biology teacher is grabbing the whole vinyl player and, and trying to spank the boy with it. Well, essentially, technically, he, yeah, he is. Michal es- explains to his father that this is a poster depicting Gagarin's brother. Oh, he tries to persuade them that he, that it is, yes. Yeah, yeah, it's not really exactly working out. So father rips this to pieces and says that I wanted to pass the bullet into you, bastard. <laughs> and, you know, Michal gives the hand sign. Finally, the ant arrives after this kind of a sexy intermission here to the family and also the doctor is there during the Christmas day, but uh, mostly to get a bite at the Christmas table, I would say. And he's checking the blood pressure of... Miss Krausova. Yes. Here we have the electrocuting of Mihal's father's feet. This is a completely random shot. <laughs> yes, that's to show that children are irresponsible, I guess. I don't know. There is the aunt and Mihal's mother talking in the toilet. And they're talking about this biology teacher. And while the mother is looking at the bathtub, she says that he's slimy, isn't he? Kind of a nicely done. Kids now dancing like adults. Karel got treasure. Yep. Any special meaning in the lyrics of the song that you could see? No, another mainstream mainstream music, musicians with more mainstream music of the time period. Uh huh. And we finally get to this uh, pork with sauce and dumplings. Yes. Ah, uh, <laughs> the father is getting kind of a national apoplexy during this scene. Kind of each character exposing different stereotypic features at their peak, pretty much. They. Mother says that the, the food that she made is not as good as before, but father insists that it's, it's delicious. And the daughter makes the point that this is actually a gnocchi and not a knedliki. Knedlik, yes. Knedlik. And they go on and fight fight over this, whether it's a gnocchi or a knedlik, which ends with choke on those gnocchis. And it just escalates into... Total absurdity even goes shouting downstairs. There's a happy holiday wish from downstairs via this little girl, but unfortunately, <laughs> Mr. Krause goes downstairs to fight some more because he was wished to be quiet during Christmas at least. Now, Michal doing some weird biceps outside. Like, actually, not really doing any biceps, just hanging there. And we finally get to spring of 1968. Petya helping to hang paintings at school. Photos, actually, yes. Oh, okay. That's a thing here. They usually have a picture of the president hanging in uh, each each room in schools. Of course. Even now it persists, so. Class with Michal. Teacher is the biology teacher, and the chewing gum is put into Michal's hair. <laughs> there is this uh, police officer talking about his exciting office paperwork, but then to make things, I guess, a little bit more exciting, he comes up with some kind of a fake story about killing a mailman accidentally. Well, it doesn't need to be fake. Yeah, I didn't take that as a fake story either. Okay, because... Because uh, it's just to show the absurdity of to which people can go just following orders. I was just following orders. That makes sense. But back to Yindras, where the uh, 
lady of the household now says that quiet someone somebody might hear you and they will lock you up again. Then Mr. Krauss goes to shout on the balcony instead. Yes. Proletariats of all gun- countries, fuck off. Basically, yes. Yeah. Fa- uh, most famous quotes from that movie, and it's still used to this day. Can we hear it in Czech? <laughs> Proletari všech zemí, vylište si prdel! <laughs> awesome. Maybe it's also kind of a reference to Mr. Krause's will to live a little bit larger uh, than the occupant. Yes, he doesn't wish to be subservient to the, to the regime, since he has probably already been locked up a few times. Not necessarily by by the communists, but by the Nazis, as far as I know. Yeah, exactly. Mother is groaning, so we get the idea that the, both of the Mr. and Mrs. Kraus, they are sick in some way. I believe it's now the high blood pressure that is starting to make its toll on her. Yes, and he's had three heart strokes, as far as I know, previously to this scene. I took it that the mother also has had at least one heart attack before. I don't actually believe so. I think she's just getting worse and worse in terms of her blood pressure, meaning there's something wrong with her, but that it isn't said what is wrong with her in the movie. Yeah, it could be a misreading on my part. I, However, there was the k- k- kind of a serious note that was taken on, on her panting, and mm. I, I took that as an implication that she has suffered a stroke or have that heart attack or something kind to that previously and that's because that's the reason why mr kraus kind of would be so worried whenever her his wife starts to pant or groan as as it's stated here yeah i like this scene because it's uh, starting to show a different perspective on the character that that mr kraus is also able to calm down and do some leniency towards people in the household and and yes because he actually cares about them yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, I, I mean, the the scene does show Mr. Krause in more caring light, though, or it does show you the caring side of that person. But the character itself still isn't that lenient. Sure, Mr. Krause is worried for his wife, but the way how he expresses that worry is simply with more yelling. Yes, but it ends with this: uh, "Sorry, I know you are sick. Me too." And a little hug. This uh, troubled. And is now looking for, yet again, uh, another boyfriend, uh, which is the magician. Well, it doesn't go very far because it's a catastrophe once again. The magician says, Pavel, blow, my name is Petya. And then the ant's reaction to the fake snake is amazing, of course. Yes. I have to say I laughed out loud. <laughs> There's a lot of this uh, uh, kind of a lack of humor. It's just completely absurd humor. <laughs> Now looking at family photos in bed, we get to know that father indeed wasn't like this before, the mother reveals. And it's the second time to visit the outdoor theaters. We get the 20th century Fox music. Now the dad comes to ruin everything, kind of pestering his son about this whole corruptive 20th century Fox movies. We see the father is an in this office uniform and uh, is chasing his son Mihal, but gets stuck in the fence. The mother couldn't give a flying crap and just joins the whole party. And the funny thing is that you you just skipped one scene completely. Uh, did I? Okay. What was that? 
when they're smoking outside. That's why the father was mad, mainly. Oh, before this 20th century fox? Yes. There's one when where, where the three alien, Michal and uh, Yindrishka, are smoking outside of the children's house. And then they basically, oh, then, yeah. then Michal says, fuck off to the biology teacher. Oh, of course. Was it here? Yeah, that, that was a great scene. <laughs> yes. The classic, víš, co sa šodí do prdele, and so on. But now Mr. Krause arrives to the 20th century fox scene and is calling for his daughter, Jindra, Jenčisku, or something like this. Mr. Krause is there, most likely now tell about the mother who has died. And at this moment, Jindra gets comfortable in the closet and starts spending more and more time there, apparently because of the familiar smell of the clothes of her mother. Or maybe also hiding from her father when they're carrying the coffin of the mother. Once again, there's another boyfriend candidate at Anne's. And now it's the same policeman that was in the school telling this terrific story. <laughs> and the aunt thinks that now Petya is going to ask the same question. Does shit burn? Uh, yeah, she already interrupts. No, it doesn't burn. But it's a different question. We have the saboteur or motorbike story all over again. Yes. And after yet another tragic boyfriend candidate... They decide together that let's not write any more ads. No more boyfriend ads after this one. Now that the family mother is dead, kind of the father, Mr. Krause, looks visibly older, in my opinion. And is looking also for his teeth that he has lost. And Yindra here gets the great responsibility and has to care for Mr. Krause. Kind of an ironic twist of fate. And now Mr. Krause is walking to school. I'm not sure what he was uh, wanting to do at the school. Uh, some... There's usually these uh, meetings of parents, usually like once or twice in two months, and they basically mm. tell tell the parents of their children how how, uh, how the children are doing, if there are any problems in the collective and such. That's still a thing. And of course, Mr. Krause come in, comes into the classroom right at the moment when the aunt teacher has written on the... And in the wrong one as well. Right. There is this bad word on the blackboard. We also heard a song from Hanna Hegerova called uh, Cherezhne. Yeah. When he enters the school, there's a door sign that says, I believe, Budui Blast, Posilis Mir, more or less. Yes. How would you translate that? Uh, build your motherland, fatherland, strengthen the peace. Yeah. Uh, the Mr. Krause is beating the biology teacher on the corridor with the stick. Oh no, he just hits him once because he doesn't doesn't deserve more attention in the opinion of Mr. Krause, probably. Maybe Mr. Krause knows some of those shortcomings of the biology teacher that we have seen. Uh, what do you mean? Well, basically being a slimy son of a bitch. Yes, he's just not not capable of standing up for himself and just acts behind people's backs instead of facing them. I, I took it that Mr. Krause was simply reacting to the bi- biology teacher using the word comrade on, also, yes. when, when addressing him. Also, yes. Because he absolutely hates communists because they ruined his country, they ruined the lives of the, of his friends and such. Yeah, At least yeah. that's what's said in the movie. Yeah, that's a good point. I missed that comrade part. We have a bit of a 
fade in, fade out, Mr. Krause is still sitting downstairs and holding his hand on his chest. There's some kind of a affection towards the ant and uh, Mr. Krause that I can see here. And they have walked together to ant's door and then she also kindly asks, what is this medal for? Bravery and all that. And they kind of hook up later on. And indeed, Petya likes Mr. Kraus. He likes him very much. I don't know what to think about it, but now Mr. Kraus kind of finally gets what he has been wanting. He gets this kind of a son-father type of relationship because he always wanted to have a son, and now he kind of has one. So, yeah, but the, until the very end, he kind of keeps reminding Yindra how much he wanted to have a son instead of a daughter. Not only Indra, but also his wife. Yeah, that is kind of sad. But, well, hey, at least in his mind, he got some kind of a solace out of this these new circumstances. And it gets kind of his own version of a happy ending, I suppose. But it's uh, off to those Soviet prisons where you, of course, had this warm, great food and internet access and... Uh, Television, yes. and, and healthcare, and, and yes. everything. Yeah. Well, uh, uh, the way how the film telegraphs once again its ending, it's hinted that Mr. Krause did actually escape. Yeah, they they all went to Britain. Yeah, uh, Mr. Krause, Yindrishka, and uh, Aunt Eva and Petya, Petya as well. I believe about that. Yeah, because uh, Mr. Krause. Yes, Mr. Krause's brother apparently lives in Britain, and that's the only reason they actually got to visit him. Or they got the the document that you needed to cross the border at the time. Yeah, and they just never returned. So, yes. at, at the end of the film, Mr. Krause, as far as I at least understood the film, Mr. Krause does not, uh, in the end, end up in any Soviet prison no. for his political no. views. Well, he wouldn't end up in a Soviet prison. He would end up uh, in one of the Czech work camps. Mm. Especially for mining uranium, which was the worst one. Oh, dear. Where they mined the uranium without any pro protective equipment. <laughs> so, in the end, nobody got a sad ending. Not, not, not that no, sad. Really. Sad ending in the sense that, for example, the Major Zebek had to face the reality that the Warsaw Pact has been cancelled or, or, or being betrayed and basically the, the hopes and ambitions that he had placed upon the coexistence between Czech Republic and, and Soviet Russia, they are all being kind of crushed and, and Czech is being invaded by Russia at the very end. So even though it's not any work camp for him either, he does see his hopes and dreams being kind of crushed by this this invasion. And we also get to know that indeed Elian has gotten an invite from his parents to go to Washington. What do you think is the whole scenario here? How did they leave their child into Czechoslovakia and how are the parents in a different country like this? I mean, they could they could just go work there and leave their son when he was already studying in in. That's a possibility, and since he has an apartment... And that money must be really, really good indeed. Well, compared to compared to Czech, Czech crowns at the time, absolutely. Nevertheless, of Mr. Kraus having these uh, unfortunate feelings towards his daughter, I felt quite happy about these scenes where 
Mr. Krause is kind of enjoying himself when he is explaining to Petya in the car and airplane museum yes. about all of these World War Two items and whatnot. Oh, those were uh, older than World War Two. Yeah, okay. And at Mihal's, they notice that the ant is coming. Uh, at this point, everybody knows that the ant is coming to the hallway to visit Mr. Krause. Yes. So at Indra's, Petya is very excited to visit Mr. Krause. Indra tried to make some dumplings according to the recipe of her mother, but supposedly made knocky. <laughs> and a weird comment about the food from Mr. Krause, like, Jail taught me to enjoy everything, but it's tasty. Mihal wants to go to the movies and has a date with Indra. Father somehow lets him go. And back at Ants, Mr. Krause telling Petya about the Professor Masaryk, or President and Liberator. Yes. And yeah, this was a Czechoslovak politician statement, sociologist and philosopher. Yeah, he had a lot of uh, a lot of fields when he, where he had a doctorate. Honestly, he he basically founded the the Czechoslovak Republic after 1918. He was the central figure that actually got everyone together that we could found Czechoslovakia at the time. And this repeating line again: "We give the Bolsheviks one year, maximal Yep. And uh, Mihal gets to know that Hindra is not home because. She's with her boyfriend, and we have this whole scene where we see that the Mihal is calling for Indra, but on the balcony we see only Alien, and he explains that Indra is not there. But he doesn't buy it, and during this scene we have the song The Soulman, Baby Do Not Cry. And a bit of a romantic stairway moment follows that, and Mihal surprises Alien and Indra. Alien explains that he's going to see his parents, so... Uh, Yindre wanted to say a bit of a goodbye for him, but Mihal completely ruins their last chance of a kind of a goodbye kiss. Now, of course, Mihal desperately tries to you know, convince Yindra that uh, since Elian would be coming back for about a year, then maybe they two should hook up and get romantically involved, basically. But Yindra makes it clear that, well, she treats him as a friend, as a cousin, and there are some borders that cousins should not cross. And this is where the London came through moment is, and Eva and mother Maria are talking about this message from London. They're talking in the dining room that the average woman thinks of sex every five minutes and average man every seven minutes. Sure, I think that's a little bit uh, <laughs> bonkers. Should be the other way around. As the Mr. Polivka said in the movie, or the as the uncle, I'm an average woman then. Yeah. And the professor is uh, saying something about do not paint the devil or devils on the walls. It's an interesting saying because as far as I know, this saying doesn't exist in the English language. No, but I completely understand this because uh, it certainly exists in Finland. And as far as I checked, it also exists in Germany, Latvia, and I believe Hungary, which might have been the source of this particular saying. So... Uh, how would you guys kind of explain that to some people who might not understand this? So uh, painting devils on the walls, that's kind of like saying you shouldn't have said what you just said because that just might become a reality for you. That's good enough, I'd say. Yeah, that's it. Yeah. Mr. Krause explains the background of his brother who lives in London who flew for the Royal Pri British Air Force 
And so, in short, Mr. Kraus kind of wants to put up a memorial for the air fighters in Czechoslovakia, in Pletna. No, it's Letna. It's uh, it, those are the fields in Prague that are right above the river. I believe opposite opposite to the castle, where uh, a huge monument uh, was made for Stalin and the Red Army and everything. But then, then it was demolished. I believe in the run up to Prague Spring. Now, Michal Michal is drinking in secret, and. Mr. Plastic Fan is giving the gift of plastic spoons this time, which kind of bent into hot coffee and also developed by now socialists, Germans, of course. Yes. I wonder where our German comrades made their mistake, states Mr. Kraus. <laughs> Yindra has gone back to sit in the closet. Kind of, I guess he's es- she's escaping the piano duties. Meanwhile, Michal has been a good boy and put his head inside the electric oven. And Yindra is once again extremely unimpressed by yet another suicide attempt. I found this kind of disturbing throughout the film. In the next scene, everybody is gathered around the table and then they hear from the doctor's call that Michal has just had a heat stroke. And everybody's just laughing that he would be so stupid to try to kill himself with an electric oven. Well, that is stupid. Like I would be laughing also. And was. <laughs> <laughs> but it's a common theme in the film that nobody takes suicide seriously. I'm quite disturbed about it, even if it's supposed to be some kind of a Czech humor where all bets are off. But No, seriously. If I told an American a Czech joke, they would probably want to ban me from the internet. <laughs> Do you prefer Czechia, this new name to new way to... I prefer Czech Republic. Czech Republic, yeah. Yeah, they drink again to Marshal Malinovsky and... Yes. Now we get to the Prague Spring, August 28th, 1968. Does somebody want to give a short version of the Prague Spring? Maybe our guest is the most qualified for that. Well, the thing is that uh, during the liberalization of uh, our society and politics, some people didn't necessarily like that, so they basically wrote a collective letter to a... uh, Russian-Soviet president. They didn't like that either, so they just went and uh, sent four countries to invade us and to pacify us so that we wouldn't be liberalizing our society and politics anymore because they wouldn't want us to be, you know, like the degenerate West that is just about money and such. Yeah, uh, I found something regarding Finland here also, that Finland was... Or the Finnish president, Urho Kekkonen at the time, was the very first Western politician who officially visited Czechoslovakia after August 1968. And he received the highest honors from Czechoslovakians uh, from President Ludwig Svoboda. Uh, Finland, who, of course, during especially during Urho Kekkonen's reign, was a country uh, kind of a politically influenced still by the East in a way that we were always kind of on our, on our toes, even though we were not kind of part of the this Soviet Russia. Eastern Bloc, I'd say. Yeah, we were not part of it, but of course we had to be careful what we were saying and try to keep a kind of a, a dial it down a little bit, so to speak. Well, it's not like you didn't have your own trouble with uh, Soviets. Yeah, no, yeah. So it was kind of a challenging dance, and I think it's still going very much now. 
Oh, well. Oh, some, some level. Oh, we are, I mean, we do have a president at, uh, right now that is kind of trying to bring back the good old times. <laughs> yeah, Milos Zeman. Zeman, yes. Uh, I read that he refused to attend any ceremony regarding Prague Spring, which is kind of perplexing to me because he was also the one who was critical of the Soviet occupation or the uh, attack during the Prague Spring. Oh, he he does have to be nice to the people that paid for his campaign, be it the Russian-influenced uh, uh, businessmen and such, so... Ah, oh, right, right. He spoke against uh, the Soviet invasion during that time, of course, because, well, he was a politician during those times, and uh, there was kind of a only option was to be in the Communist Party, but that kind of sticks out to me in his resume, that member of a Communist Party. So he, oh, was. he wasn't the only one. There was yeah. a, a big, uh, big outrage that the Soviets would come and uh, crush our completely peaceful Prague Spring, uh, where to this day they still deny that they were the ones that started started shooting into the crowds. Wow, and there has been some clear opposition towards this president, and uh, was the opinion polls at the lowest level in like only 51% of support towards this president well that was even even during his election yes he only got 50% the well not o- well only it's still 50% of the people that came to vote so <laughs> oh that that is kind of a split society yeah Absolutely. And there's people that only want to remember some parts of the history, and there's people that remember it as it was. Yeah, just a bit about the timeline. So it was 1948 when the Communist Party took control around Czechoslovakia, and 1968 was Prague Spring. Then in 1989, of course, there was collapse of the Berlin Wall, and basically the collapse of communism at large, and that was immediately followed by... Velvet Revolution, which kind of set the nail in the coffin in for communism and and the Soviets in the area. Well, for the Russians in uh, in general, yeah, don't like them staying here. Yeah, yeah, their kind of a extended holiday was over, and uh, in, as mentioned, ninety one last Soviet troops left the area, and ninety three, first of January, the Czechs and Slovaks split into Czech Republic and. Slovakia. I understand this was done in completely peaceful terms and it was just uh, uh, decided that this is the best for everybody. I don't know, what are your feelings towards this split? Do you think you should be together or...? Well, the Slovaks thought that they don't get enough representation since over the majority of the time we had a Czech president and Czech le- uh, majority Czech leadership, even though the Slovaks were still a minority in the country which I guess they didn't want to understand. I, 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 I don't know what to think about that. It's just that they wanted their own states, let them have it. We were like, hey, whatever. They, they don't really have anything that we necessarily need. And they, have all, they haven't always been that faithful to us anyway, as seen in 1939. So. And basically the Czech and Slovak languages are kind of 99% identical, I understand. They're very identical, yes. Yeah. 
Yeah. Very similar and such. Yeah. Well, we we have a lot of common history, so that kind of makes sense. Of course. Actually, the the flat that the the, the Mihals family had, you know, this uh, main door uh, in the middle of the the entrance, and then uh, kind of other rooms on each side of the flat. Yeah, this this hallway is quite wide. And anyway, this 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 flat reminds me like completely of one flat where where I was couch surfing in Slovakia like five six years ago. Yeah, that maybe they were kind of mass producing these kind of houses and flats that during. wouldn't actually actually surprise me since there was a lot of a uh, lot of that stuff going on during the first republic between 1918 and 1938 right yeah there was a lot of housing being built for workers and such yeah. since we basically inherited all of the industry from austria hungary well we also have kind of the final See, basically, well, Mihal's, Mihal's father tries to hang himself now, and now the entire structure collapses here. The door to Yindra's apartment is sealed off, but uh, this girl, uh, Uzlinka, goes into... It's not a name, it's a nickname, actually. Okay, this nickname girl goes into the flat via the balcony yes. and uh, gets the birds from there. And these birds are kind of a nice reference towards... Well, not so nice, but it's a reference towards how... You were in a cage during those those times. Yes, were much more watched than other countries that nece- didn't necessarily border with the Western country. Uh, Mihal is on bed and birds chirping away in the cage, and we hear the song from Blue Effect called "Slunechne." Yes. Slunechne, Europe. Thank you. What does it mean? Sunny grave. Oh, a sunny grave. Yes. And the text says here the the titles that the, this film is dedicated to everyone whose friends, lovers, parents, and children disappeared overnight as you remained it here alone. Yes. Uh, I like the guitar riff here. Great stuff. Great stuff. And that's that's actually one of the uh, uh, one of the underground uh, underground songs that was actually. There, the movie that wasn't really the mainstream. Yeah, Hen- Henrik, did you find this tonal shift in a way problematic for the film? Now that we have had these very funny moments, and and then, then suddenly it turns into kind of a dark territory, or not so much. But the, you have anyway these titles about how these whole events turned, and so many people were just taken away from their homes and they disappeared completely. I didn't feel that the tonal shift was that strong in in the film and it most definitely did not bother me there was this one uh, guy from letterboxd uh, called butter crisis and you know that there's not not a lot of reviews available professionally or otherwise so to speak so but i found this really interesting quote when you listen to the nationalist tirade the father goes on you can't help but laugh but also you as the audience also knowing that the soviet tanks are approaching the czech border can't help but also feel a bit hopeless and sorry for these families there is dysfunction in all these families and it's the whimsy and absurdism that goes hand in hand with it that helps you digest it yes the the absurdism is absolutely there but unfortunately not from only one side not only from the side of the father but uh from mr kraus but also from mr shebek being the uh czechoslovakian socialist people's army major yeah let's check out some of the themes once again of the film so you have this communist suppression you also have this changing culture 
you have the collision of the old attitudes from the parents and then you have the new attitudes of the youngsters. And the film is kind of casting a humoristic side to trying times, kind of in an effort to ease the tension when looking back on those times. Yes, that's what's that's what uh, us Czechs do. That's that's why uh, during the Nazi times we were called the laughing beasts by the Nazis because we would just laugh at anything. We would just try <laughs> and ease all the hardships with humor. Yeah, I just found interesting that you also have this have this uh, very let's say Czechoslovakian culture that is represented by, for example, Mr. Kraus. And regardless if it's Mr. Kraus or uh, Mr. Shebek, the movie kind of paints it in a, in a light that this is kind of the old world and the youngsters are maybe the new Czechoslovakian world. So we're also kind of moving away from the oppression, but we're also moving away from the old Czechoslovakian lifestyle. So it's kind of a... And then at the same time, it's giving more foothold towards the more, let's say, Western culture, all these U.S. influences, which are in a way nagging at the culture of Czechoslovakia, if you will. Well, nagging, I wouldn't say nagging, I would just say influencing, since I don't see it as a wrong thing. Yeah, yeah, it just makes makes you question, like... Question all the Soviet socialist values, yes, because that's that, that can't be a thing in a proper socialist country, comrade. I think it's not taking much of a side here. It's just condemning everything and making everything in a goofy light. Mm, if it's communism yes. or or Mr. Krause. Well, I wouldn't say that uh, it paints paints Mr. Krause as being goofy, stupid guy. It just paints him in the light that he has suffered. Therefore, his personality is completely changed by all the hardships that he has been through. Because not only has he been through a Nazi concentration camp, he also lived to see the end of the war. Then he came, came back home and was living in peace for three years. And then the commies just staged a coup and there's this completely new new regime controlling your day-to-day life uh, that that is locking up your your friends your family the people that you were fighting the nazis with and that's how i see mr kraus he's yeah the, the, the mr kraus is kind of holding on to the to, to something that he believes and deems it's so important that he is having all this you know Christmas traditions that he wants to hang on for life and meanwhile kind of the newer generation doesn't care about any of this kind of a stiff lifestyle they just want to move on yeah yeah it's interesting all right Henrik 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 would it be seen and not seen by no we covered that already oh did we (laughs) okay so would it be quickies sure why not okay who wants to go first? Uh, favorite performance. I'm gonna wait. <laughs> I well, so. I I can start. I'm gonna name, and I hope I'm pronouncing. Or Gary can say how this is pronounced. But Chiri Godet, who played Mr. Krause. Chiri Godet. Yes, I absolutely agree. <laughs> yeah, could you give us the pronunciation again? Chiri Godet. Chiri. Chiri Godet. Chiri Godet. Yes. 
well, Czech being one of the hardest languages on on the planet Earth, it's kind of hard to pronounce the letters. So it's it's one of people. Most people have a problem with that when they don't learn it since they were really fucking small. Sorry. Yeah, Mr. Kraus, Jerzy Kodet. That's my best effort tonight. Yes. The, this guy steals the spotlight for me. He's really funny. So, yeah. He's great. Yeah, absolutely agree. You would also pick him? Yes, yeah. I did independently when I did my <laughs> did my research on that, when I prepared. Especially comes to mind the piano scene when he's angrily singing in this song and trying to show how it's supposed to be played. God damn it. Favorite shot? Well, for me, at 39 minutes, there's the family at the table and Mihal's father drinking that fiery shot. So the first farthest Yes, the Marshal Malinovsky scene. Exactly. And you guys? For me, it probably would be 47, I can't really find it, where he's, uh, where he's screaming at Jendrishka that she can't play at the piano. Henrik. Yeah, I take the fiery shot also. Favorite scene for me would definitely be the dumplings argument around 51 minutes between Yindra and Mr. Kraus. I'm gonna go with all the suicides that the film has. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, you know, probably. <laughs> you have the dark sense of humor, so I thought you would appreciate that. Favorite, uh, I don't know if I gave this to you, but I propose a uh, favorite piece of music. Did you have anything like this? Probably the Blue Effect song. It's just great. I love it. Definitely, yeah. The end credits Blue Effect song. Favorite quote? Well, proletari všechzemi, of course. <laughs> I'm gonna take the teacher's remark. I'm not forcing myself. Just be quiet and quick, please. Which also is, is something that, that describes all my sexual encounters. <laughs> <laughs> For me, it would be kind of those pinnacle moments of the knocky conversation so choke on those knockies how do you say that in czech uh <laughs> or something like that yeah favorite kill and please listener do note that this is once again a category that has been hanging on in the podcast since our horror movie times and we just decided to keep it as a ha 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 funny moment in the categories so favorite kill for me it would be a uh, indra's mother because there isn't much else to go with anyway. Yeah, that that was a hilarious moment in the film. I'm also mm-hmm. going with that. Well, I'd have part. to go with the with the postman, you know, since that's the most absurd moment of that movie. <laughs> so, Henrik, any random confusing questions for tonight? Henrik, well, if you had been a Czech during 1968, would you have pushed for an aggressive anti-Bolshevik rebellion? Via your student organizations, perhaps, or would you have just been the slimy carp in the bathtub? I b- k- kind of. I'm, I'm taking the easy way out and refuse to answer this question. Oh, bummer. I'm not nearly familiar enough with the situation and the topic of of discussion to actually make any kind of a statement. Oh, there's a lot, lot to know. Honestly, it's just it's complicated a lot yeah yeah and i i try my best not to actually open my mouth if i don't know what i'm talking about same but because it's this still is like this is real history and these are real events that affected real people so in in that sense me 
being bored and living in Finland and just making snarky remarks about real tragedies since I I'm not familiar enough with the with the actual facts and the actual situation. It's kind of a beneath me. Well, that's uh, smartly played. It's the serious Henrik now again here tonight. <laughs> <laughs> we are we are not completely on our comfortable territory and turf. But indeed, I find that th- this is so great to delve deep into subjects that we are not so familiar with. And then I think the next time we visit visit any movie from the Czech Republic, it would be way easier again to approach. I mean, there are absolutely other really great movies out there. Yeah, I went a little bit, uh, I guess the kind of a educated word for to describe this is that I went a little bit apeshit in my <laughs> checkout and I bought five movies from Czech Republic that I will be, or former Czechoslovakia, and uh, I'll be kind oh, of... I'm interested. What did you buy? <laughs> oh, yeah. Let me just get that list if you have a second. No, I've got the whole evening. These were basically movies that were suggested by some guy who said in the Reddit post that I made that, hey, who wants to be a guest in this show? Uh, the guy said that that basically that nobody who had not lived during those times times could possibly understand what what kind of atmosphere it was during those times mm, that's just a complete completely false statement you have to put put some some work into it but you absolutely can understand them that's kind of my thoughts that uh, as long as you read enough about any given subject you will be able to get pretty close to some idea well not only an idea but you you are probably more uh, objective to those events than, uh, let's say, a person that was alive back then. Yeah, the movies that I ordered were, oopsie doopsie, actually six films. First, <laughs> first is My Little Sweet Village, Vesnitskoma Stredisko. Yeah, The Ear, Ucho, uh-huh. The Fireman's Ball, Horima uh-huh. Panenko or something like this. Yes. Larks on a Thread, Skrivanci uh, Naniti. Mm-hmm. I'm missing all these special letters here, but All yes. Good Citizens. Uh-huh. Uh, yeah. The Snowdrop Festival, Slavnosti Slavnosti Snijenek. Yes, that one. Classics, I understand. Yes, absolutely. You're missing Dark Blue World there. <laughs> I'm always missing that's something. More of a, that's more of a historical movie, though, also. Yeah, and uh, unfortunately, they didn't have the joke from 1969. So, what drew you out of this film, Henrik? Uh, me personally, nothing really. That's exactly what I wrote. Nothing really. What about uh, Ondra? Maybe the Marshal Malinowski scene a bit, since you can, you know, easily see the guy making the making the flame behind uh, Miroslav Donutil's head with the hairspray. <laughs> Honestly, I didn't notice this on the first go, but when it was stated out... Oh, when, you, when guy... you see it as, as many times as uh, as me, uh, me or any other Czech person, you will start wondering how they did that, and you will just rewatch the scene yeah. until you see it. I kept wondering how they were able to kind of... Uh, it's literally ma- just the hairspray and the candle. But then there is the scene where the biology teacher's hair cuts uh, into fire. I oh, but that, that was probably done with uh, with uh, some hair extensions or something. Or maybe with that uh, special slow-burning gel that you can put out easily. Not sure. Yeah, it seemed definitely on the documentary that there was some kind of extra pair of hair attached there. It was hanging from him. What drew you in then? The invasion scene. Ooh. To me, it's the opening suicide. Attempt. It's a great opening, huh? 
Yeah, it was. Um, uh-huh. At least for me, it set set the tone of the film. Yeah, with the first line, and it was yeah. through and throughout uh, actually a very funny movie and a bit distressing. But uh, I haven't laughed this much in a long time. I have to say so. <laughs> yeah, say, same for me. Mm-hmm. Well, this, this is our second legit comedy that we have taken a look on in in the podcast. The first one being the six degrees of celebration, which I didn't care for that much. A goofy Russian uh, Christmas comedy or New Year's oh, comedy. Yeah, I wouldn't know. Yeah, and this one was way more on my alley and this one i actually did find quite funny that's uh speaking something because uh, as i've found the henrik is really it's really hard to make henrik laugh so oh, good. i did a good job here then or the movie did <laughs> scissors of sacrilege what would you change in the film or how would you improve the film guys i don't think there's anything to improve this is just one of the best czech movies and I, I, I'm really not that educated enough um, in movie making to actually make that decision to change the movie in a way. Yeah, and it's always kind of a artistic perspective whether something is supposed to follow some kind of a set rules. And at the end of the day, there are no rules in filmmaking, but there are some guidelines, let's say. I don't know. I just felt that the... Well, I didn't... Uh, really think about it in the way that you already described it, but I was thinking that the electric toy at Ants, when they established it, it was... I didn't really get the high importance of this scene. But now, given some perspective, you know, it works just as well as some of the very randomly inserted but funny scenes. But if I... Uh, I don't know. Perhaps... I have written a lot of bullshit here. When I try to think about this now, in my current understanding of the film, I would probably not even speed up the pace of the film. Because when you start to really scrutinize these scenes, there's a lot to chew on. You have to get past, you know, some cultural barriers there. Once you get that, that's great. And you just find more and more things when you watch it on repeated viewings. So no changes from me. No, no. Yeah, I'm also going to take the no changes route out here yeah well, I, and uh my three adjectives to describe the film would be what's a hilarious tragic and y- unique well i'm sure that there is uh, plenty of films that have been made uh, of the same idea but i would say st- i would still make the kind of obnoxious wording of unique which would then kind of suggest that i have seen half of the world's movies but anyway unique uh my ad- adjectives for this film will be funny, warm, and sad. Well, the only three I've got are true, political, and funny. Yeah. That's just how it is. True that. And did you gaze at your Omega during watching this film? Did you get bored or distracted? Were you making pizza in the oven while you were watching? Or did you have some better things to do, like your your Facebook feed? Nope. Nope. Three nopes. All right, drum roll. Henrik, would you recommend Peliski? I would. It's I, I, I found it to be quite hilarious. It it worked as a comedy. It it is it is technically pretty well made and there is kind of quite a lot to find from the film or within the movie itself. And I I found it that it 
quite well depicts uh, the time period that, where, that the, where the film takes place. Of course, that comes with the caveat of me be not being really that that familiar with the whole whole Soviet invasion of Czech and basically that part of of the Soviet history. But from what 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 little I do know and what little I do understand from the time period and and the way how how Czech was during this time, I do think that it's pretty accurate depiction of of the society and the people living living those times and even though the film does have a quite deep of a political depth in it it still is quite easy to watch like this is not one of those extremely heavy films that just keeps keeps hitting hitting you in the head with the political themes or you don't even have to be quite familiar with with the themes themselves or or the real life events in order to enjoy and understand the movie itself like this is very open movie for basically i would say to global audiences so yeah most definitely a recommendation for me wonderful so my movie picks are not that bad henrik right 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 no, no, you you can you can keep on ordering films from e-stores. <laughs> yeah, I would also, of course, recommend it. Like a big recommendation, important cultural dive into the kind of moods and cultural shift of the time in and around Prague Spring. It's educational, it's funny, and definitely you could manage to buy worse films at random on Amazon. So absolutely. Go pick it up, and even if you're kind of disencouraged by the cultural gap that you might have to jump over, I think it's gonna be worth it. But yeah, it, the, the the gap really isn't that no. that high here. Yeah, but that's, like, that's like, sure. There are, there are things that you may miss yeah. if if you are not if you don't understand the culture that the film depicts. But it's still like the, the, we have tackled way harder pictures like Yelen mm. here, here in the lab and this is nowhere near that territory when it comes to you know, how hard the film is going to understand if you don't understand the culture or if you don't have first-hand touching point to the culture. Yeah, I guess I'm speaking mostly for people like this one reviewer you know, online who was from the States and had never traveled outside of his home country and all that. That could be, but if you're if you're from Europe, you probably have enough starting point information to enjoy Eastern this. Eastern Bloc, maybe, but I wouldn't wouldn't think that people in Western Europe would understand a lot. Depends. Yeah. Depends on the person. Depends on the experiences, and depends on the knowledge. But Andra, would you recommend this film as well? Because I have no idea. Absolutely, I would. I like the movie uh, and everything about it that I would would have liked to say, have said, you have already said. So, yep. Yeah, we are totally obnoxious like that. No, I mean, <laughs> kind of, okay. <laughs> there are not many, many people saying uh, nice nice things uh, about Czech Republic these days. So. Oh, really? Well, I'm glad well, to help us. Especially people that would like uh, that would like the old times to return, since we removed uh, a statue. Hmm. Yeah, I've been in Prague a couple of times, but other than that, I don't have a lot of touching point. But at least that's something. Usually, I like to go visit actually some less traversed places like 
Uh, I had a plan to go to Brno, but that never happened. Would you recommend to visit some other city than Prague? Well, Brno is definitely great. I mean, I I live just 40 kilometers north of it, so yeah. Huh. I used to live there actually, and that 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 was only like half a year. So yeah, Brno is a great city if you know what to look for. But uh, it could definitely be. Uh, uh, viewed as ugly and dirty, and um, especially from the if you if you arrived by a train. Well, that, to that yeah, there's nice parts. I don't know what, how to say this, but uh, for example, in Helsinki, there's a lot of this level of cleanliness and sterility in the also the new architecture that it kind of bores you to death. But I kind of like this rough around the edges type of architecture and looks of city. So. Maybe it's the thing for me. Well, absolutely, because we still have. Well, most of our country wasn't uh, destroyed by the Second World War, so that that oh, yeah. means those old old buildings are still standing, most of them, anyways. So oh, yeah. that's why it keeps its, you know, unique outlook. At least the cities and towns. Even the small town where I live, the city square, well, town square, basically didn't change. All right, let's complete this sentence. You really know you're watching Pelishki when you see one of the most awkward dance scenes of cinema history for me so far. And meanwhile, somebody tries to hang himself, and as a response, he only gets apathy and laughter. Your turn. <laughs> You really know you're watching Pelishki when you hear Blue Effect, the the band that wrote the song Slunechni Hrop or A Sunny Grave in English. I just like that song so much. Yeah. You really know you're watching Pelishki when you yourself are a complete dumbass and try to kill yourself with an electric oven. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I believe those were the quickies, but Henrik and Andra, would it be time to... Those the lab coats into the fire at this point. I don't know about fire, but at least hang hang them for the night. We might need the coat still on next weekend. If you insist, we are running on quite a low production money money here, so might as well keep the coats. We most definitely don't have the cash to buy new ones. No, we have only minus numbers on the account regarding this podcast, so it's quite expensive. In fact. But Henrik, what is our next film in this podcast? I actually don't know yet. Oh, what it is? Well, it would be Jean-Luc Godard's *Breathless* from 1960. Are you in? Quick question before we close our doors: Have you actually ever watched a Godard film? I believe, but I can't confirm. Well, yes. I, I guess we find that one out next week. I know a very artistic buddy, but it's one of those big names that. Many people uh, analyze to hell in film schools, so uh, I think it's one of those things that we just need to check out at least once. Well, your words, not mine, but there sure as hell is a lot to talk about next week. Well, this is the hell of your own making because you didn't pick up any movie for <laughs> suggestions. So just so that the audiences know that you are to you are to be blamed next week. Yeah, well. We have gone through your Gone with the Wind and the Birth of a Nation, so I think this is uh, going to be less heavy. Yeah, well, you know, the famous last words. Oh, really? That remains to be then. See. Thank you a lot, Andra, for 
joining us for this episode. It's been a huge, huge help indeed. Oh, thank you. Anyway, it was my pleasure. Didn't think I would enjoy it this much. <laughs> okay, that's great and, to hear. Yeah, and before you leave us, is there something you want us to do for you in return? A shout no, out, a website, not. something like nothing. that? I, I, I just wanted to help you guys out. You chose me. That's that's well and over good enough for me. So I'm honored. And is there? Though, if you have any kind of a projects going on, you can drop a link or something. If you have, I anything. do not have anything that I can make public at the moment. Okay, so we'll be waiting on what you come up with if you do. <laughs> All right. In the meantime and in the between time, you can find us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube. As my brother from another mother, Henrik, would say, the places the common curse frequent. But don't forget to leave us a rating on Apple Podcasts or wherever you are reviewing podcasts because it really helps us out, especially the Apple Podcast ratings because it's kind of the mecca of podcasts and it's going to raise us higher in the rankings whenever you do that. And remember that uh, even if shit keeps happening to you, it rarely is on fire. Unless it's a dumpster fire such as this podcast. You're too harsh on yourself. <laughs> <laughs> That's what we do here. <laughs> But anyway, dear listeners, see you next week. Until then. All right, that was fun. <laughs>